0: 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: As we, um, I'm looking to wrap things up in this letter and uh, before we come to the Lord's table, I uh, want to restate or reemphasize the purpose of this letter. You know, one of the most common prayer requests that I hear from Christians is this, I want to get closer to God. This is a common prayer request that I hear from Christians. I want to get closer to God. Well, friends, this is precisely John's goal. He writes this letter to the church, to you and I, so that we can have greater fellowship with God. You know, one of the things I find most attractive about John's approach here in this letter is that he doesn't harken back to the good old days. John, he doesn't talk about all the amazing fellowship he once had with Jesus. He doesn't do that. If he did, that wouldn't be real encouraging. In fact, that would be deflating. I mean, imagine if John said, as he's writing this letter, talking about fellowship with God, imagine if he says, man, you should have been there at the last supper when he washed our feet. I mean, it was amazing. It was hashtag humbled, right? Imagine if he says, gosh, remember the time when he raised Lazarus? That was epic. Or as you're eating... And John says, "Mm, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the best meal I ever had when Jesus rose again from the dead and he grilled fish with coals on the beach on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, imagine if John boasted of his intimacy with Jesus. Imagine if he said things like, you know, I was the only one who rested my head against Jesus' chest. I was the only disciple who ever felt his heartbeat, who ever felt his breathing. You know, we would think, what about us, right? You had Jesus in the flesh. You experienced fellowship with him, but what about us? You see, John doesn't do that. He doesn't ground fellowship with God in personal experience or historical proximity. Rather, he grounds fellowship with God in three real simple and practical ways. These are three ways that John says you can enjoy great, greater fellowship with God. He says through these three ways: through knowledge, through obedience, and through relationships. Friends. Um, You know, I want to say in this last message as we go through John that deep fellowship with God is not anecdotal. Deep fellowship with God is not exclusive. But it is readily available and accessible to all of us through these very ordinary means. If that is your prayer request, I want to get closer to God. You don't have to have some esoteric experience. You don't have to have this amazing, amazing testimony of God working amazingly or miraculously in your life. As John writes about fellowship with God, he says all of us, all of us have obtained fellowship with God through Jesus, and we can enjoy deeper fellowship with God through these very ordinary, ordinary means, through knowledge, obedience, and relationships. And so by way of summary, let me just touch briefly upon these three things. These are three ways that we can enjoy greater fellowship with God. So first, knowledge. You know, it is virtually impossible to have a relationship with someone without first having knowledge of that person. You can't be in a relationship with someone without first having knowledge of each other. You know that person, and that person knows you. People who have a relationship without knowledge is called a creeper, or worse, a stalker. You see, John makes the point that we have this precious knowledge of God He writes over and over, we know, we know, we know, we know God. He says we know God because God has revealed himself to us in his son. We know God because the Holy Spirit bore witness to us. And because we know God, John says, we know who we are. Because we know who God is, we now know who we are. Because we know that God is our father, we know that we are his children. Because we know who God is, we now know that we are from God. In other words, we find and discover our identity by first knowing who God is. John says we know we have life in him. We have knowledge of God because God revealed it to us. Now, I know that this doesn't sound special in any way, but if you give it some thought, it is astonishing, especially when you think about yourself, especially when you think about how reluctant you are to reveal things about yourself to others. To some degree or another, we all have this inclination in us where we wanna hide who we really are. Most of us don't like to share what's really going on inside us. We don't want to share how we're really feeling. In fact, we don't even like giving away personal information, especially in today's day and age, where you give your phone number away to the wrong person, and you'll get robocalled every hour. We have a hard time revealing things about ourselves to other people. We are guarded. We don't like sharing. We don't like revealing. Because we worry if we can actually trust the person. We're afraid that they might judge us. We're concerned that they might misinterpret us. We're scared that they might use it against us. And the worst, you know what the worst is? We're tormented by the possibility that they might share it with someone else. But you know, God, He isn't insecure like us. And because God isn't insecure, He's actually vulnerable with us. God reveals Himself to us, He tells us what's inside, He shares His mind. He tells us first that he loves us, not worried if we will reciprocate. You know, God, he tells us that he's jealous for us. He tells us that he's jealous for us without being afraid of being labeled envious or even crazy. In the Bible, God bears it all. He shows us his heart, He shares his vision for the world. He calls us to be his partners without being afraid that we are going to abuse his trust. God revealed himself to us. And isn't that amazing? He showed what is inside. He said, I love you first. That which we are so afraid to say. You know, and the irony is, all throughout history, People have used God's revelation in Scripture to attack His character, to question His existence, to misinterpret His intentions. But, you know, God isn't phased by that. God reveals Himself to us through His Word so that we may know Him and, in turn, know who we are. God isn't guarded. And through this knowledge that He gives to us, that He reveals to us, we can have fellowship with Him. Now, if I can be a little more practical and perhaps exhort our congregation at this time, you know, Christians, because Scripture is God's revelation to us, I encourage you to love the Word, to study the Word, to read it, to memorize it, to listen to it, take the knowledge that God has given of Himself, and take that and enjoy fellowship with Him. You know, um, just as an example, for me personally, uh, there's this one verse that has been speaking powerfully to me um, throughout the summer. You know, First John is a letter that, you know, just in the summer I've read over and over and over again, but I've always missed this verse. I, I've always glossed over it, and it was uh, 1 John 3.20. Uh, one day I started reading it, and I thought, oh my goodness, what amazing knowledge. This is what John says. He says this, for whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. I stopped one day on this verse and I started thinking, oh my goodness, this verse is telling us that our hearts condemn us, that we will doubt, we will waver, we will question, our hearts will condemn us. But John gives us this knowledge that God is greater than our hearts. And this knowledge powerfully comforts us. This is just one small example of how through knowledge we can enjoy deeper fellowship with God. You know, this knowledge tells us that even our own hearts can attack us and condemn us, but it tells us that God is greater than our heart's condemnation. So through knowledge, we enjoy greater fellowship with God. The second... In which John talks of is obedience. The second way we experience greater and genuine fellowship with God is through obedience. This is what John writes in uh, chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He says this, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You know, this this verse, or in verse 5, it tells us that God's love is perfected in us through obedience. So, contrary to popular belief, love and obedience are not at odds with one another. God's love is perfected through obedience. Obedience. Further, verse 6 tells us that it is actually through obedience that we become like him. We walk in the same way in which he walked. And so, in other words, the goal of obedience isn't mastery, but it is conformity. To phrase it differently, God, he calls us to be obedient Not so that we could be his slaves, but so that we can become more like his sons. Noah's as parents, uh, I think one of the most difficult things is uh, seeing our weaknesses in our children. Have you ever picked up on that? Whether if it's just a character flaw, a personality issue, or just simply bad habits... When we see our ugliness being picked up by our children, it's actually quite devastating. A few months ago, there was an article that caught my attention. It was in the Atlantic, and it was entitled Mothers Are Teaching Their Daughters Bad Lessons About Beauty. And in this article, the author documents a study that shows that when mothers and their young daughters are put together in front of a mirror, young girls, the daughters, will emulate how their mothers talk about their own bodies. So, if in front of a mirror, a mother shows insecurities or, looked, or looks disprovingly at herself, then the young daughter will almost always echo the same sentiments about herself. If the mother doesn't like her hair, the young daughter Documented until even uh, at 18 months, will echo and feel the same things about herself. The article highlights an important reminder: that it's actually quite natural for children to become like their parents. We grow up to become like them. Now, what does John say about God, our Father? These are just some of the things he says in describing who God is. He says, God is light. He says, God is benevolent. He says, God is gracious. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is merciful. He is forgiving. He is righteous. He is holy. And because He is all of these things, God, He desires that His children, you and I, become just like Him. God is light so we ought to walk in light. God is holy, so we ought to be holy. God loves us, so we ought to love one another. We become like God. We become like our Father. And John says that's done through obedience. You know, the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus accepts you just as you are. Or if I can say, Jesus accepts you despite who you are. But he doesn't leave you the way that you are. You see, God, he desires that we become like him. And that is through obedience. Again, if I can be real practical, let me say this. If you want to experience deep, Personal fellowship with God, you don't need an outer body experience. Just be obedient to His revealed will. Say yes. Say yes to God. Now, I've yet to meet a person who is obedient to God turn around and say, you know what, I made a mistake. Now, friends, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that salvation is the reward for obedience. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying salvation is the reason for obedience. If you know that God has loved you and saved you by giving up his one and only son, we can obey because we know that it will lead to greater fellowship. We will become like him. You know, there's this one verse that I was looking at um, from Deuteronomy 10, you know, the Old Testament. And I started reading it, and this is what it says. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul? Now, this sounds sounds burdensome, right? The Lord requires. We have to fear. We have to walk in all of his ways. We have to love him and serve him with everything that we have. And it says that we have to keep his commands and statutes. But at the end, the Lord says this, which I am commanding you today for your good. Quite often when it comes to Christian obedience, we forget this, for your good, for your good. The Lord calls us to obedience for our good so that we can become more like Him. Finally, the third way in which we um, experience greater fellowship with God is through relationships, namely by loving one another. You know, in this letter, in John's letter, he never commands us to love God, he never says, You must love God. No, that's a given. Of course. We must love God. But instead, John challenges. He commands us to love one another. Again, if I can be practical, again, if you want to experience more of God's love, if you want to go deeper into fellowship with him, if you want to grow closer to God, start by loving one another. Start by loving the unlovable. You see, because there is no better way for you to know and experience God's love for you than by loving the unlovable and the undeserving. Because when we love the unlovable and the undeserving, then we realize this is who we are and this is how God has loved us first. I think the Bible um, when it speaks of sanctification and growing in holiness, there is a bit of a circular argument where we love God and because we love God, we can love one another. But also, how is it that we can experience and love God more by loving others than we can love God? It goes around and around. We love God by loving others and we experience more of God's love by loving others. Further, for those of you who struggle and wrestle with habitual sin, for those of you who are addicted to certain sins and you want to get out of it, do you know how to get out of habitual sin? You start by taking the attention off of yourself. Stop focusing on that sin even how you can overcome that sin and start spending time loving others. Become self-forgetful. Give away your time in service to others. You see, patterns of sin feast on an overconsumption of the self. Patterns of sin grow through self-loathing and self-pity. Patterns of sin continue to grow as you focus more and more on the self. But they starve, they're choked when one joyfully gives away his or her life, when he or she joyfully gives away their time, forgets about themselves, and focuses on others. And so, to answer your question for those of you seeking greater fellowship with God, for those of you wanting to get closer to God, I encourage you to these three things which John draws our attention to. Fellowship with God through knowledge, through obedience, through relationships. Now, if I can just give you one encouragement, uh, if you look through these three things which John draws our attention to, I want you to look at that and see the area in which you lack. And if you see, you know what I lack in this, then I want to encourage you to go and exercise those weak muscles. So, if you're good at being obedient, but you lack knowledge, then I want to encourage you to start focusing on studying God's Word. Or if you're strong in knowledge, but you don't love people, start exercising service. You see, these three things that John gives us, they're not spiritual gifts where you have one and not the other. No, these three things are ways in which we can enjoy greater fellowship with God. And so I encourage you, as you think upon yourself and where you're at, don't just say, you know what? Man, I'm just great with knowledge. I don't have to be obedient. Or say, you know what? I love people, but I'm not real obedient. And that's okay. No, please. These are not gifts, but they're ways and avenues in which we can experience more of God. Let me just end this series on 1 John by saying this The gospel can be expressed in a variety of ways. We can talk about the gospel in legal or forensic terms, right? We are uh, made. Righteous, we are justified. We can express the gospel in familial terms, through adoption, as we are now sons and daughters. We can talk about the gospel redemptively through atonement and expiation. Or the gospel can be expressed through this one word, fellowship. And John expounds heavily on this concept. The gospel is Fellowship with God. Fellowship with God for people who did not deserve it, who did not earn it, who did not gain it. But fellowship with God through the perfect work of Jesus. The gospel is fellowship between a holy God and undeserving sinners through the work of a perfect mediator, Jesus. The gospel is fellowship. Now, I know this word in the church is tossed around so easily. Fellowship, often used as a substitute for social gatherings. And I hate to break it to you, church, but basketball isn't really fellowship. (laughs) It's good exercise, it's good bonding, but it isn't really biblical fellowship. Board game night? Sorry, it's not real fellowship. Do you know what it is? It's board game night. Just say it's board game night. Let's not mask it by saying it's fellowship. Sitting around, lounging, eating, gossiping, that's not fellowship too. Now, I'm not disparaging these small ways of building up relationships. But fellowship, according to the Bible, is communion. It is sharing in life. That's why when the Bible says we have fellowship with God, it means we share in his life. We share in his eternal life. We share in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with God means his life is ours. Fellowship means unity, commitment. And the Bible is audacious and bold enough to say that we have fellowship with God. You know, if I can just share a little bit, um, this past week I had the opportunity to spend uh, a few days with my father. Um, You know, I haven't seen him for um, a little over six months, and um, You know, I was anxious to see him because I haven't seen him for a while and a lot transpired in between that time and, you know, there's a lot of things I wanted to share, a lot of things I wanted to, you know, talk about and, you know, try to reconcile and, uh, you know, try to grow in and, um, you know, it, it was a frustrating time, it was a frustrating few days. I don't know if it was a cultural barrier or a language barrier or a generational barrier, but. You know, it was difficult and frustrating to even have fellowship with my own father, my own biological father who raised me. It's not because of him only, it's probably because of me too and all the sinfulness that we both have. And I started to think, man, fellowship is so difficult and it can be so Frustrating. Now, I know that this is not a foreign experience. You probably have the same thing with your own parents, with your own siblings, with your own children who are grown, with your own close friends. Fellowshipping is tough, it is hard. But the Bible tells us that we have real personal. And deep fellowship with God, it is possible. With God, we don't even have a generational gap. We have a cosmic gap. But still, this holy and righteous God desires fellowship with us. He shares his life with us. This God calls us to fellowship with him through his son. You know, two of the most common symbols used to communicate the Christian gospel is the cross and a table. The cross, which points to forgiveness, atonement, sacrifice, and the table, which points to invitation, acceptance, embrace, fellowship. The Lord invites us to his table where we can enjoy fellowship with him. Church, would you use the means of grace outlined in this letter to go deeper with your maker and with your savior? Join me in prayer at this time.